Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Um, uh, I'm going to throw a picture up. Can we, can we put a picture up of me? Because uh, I promise you, I'm, we're not all flipping you off. Okay, this is when I was in middle school. I'm the guy on the right with the really cool jean shorts. Um, this is when I was in middle school, and this was, this was a first entrance into kind of community life in a Jesus community. This was a youth group invitation. Um, when, I was in, when I was in fifth grade, I got an invitation to be involved in a Bible study um, that went for a number of weeks, and it was like a 10-week Bible study that we jumped in together, and then at the end of it to say, hey, if you finish this, then you are invited on a canoe trip up north um, in, uh, in the UP, and I was talking with, I had an awesome babysitter named Brett, who was older than I was, obviously, um, and in high school at the time. And he was talking to me one day, and he says, man, when you get to sixth grade, you really have to jump into Crossroads. You really, you really need to do that. And I so loved that Brett wanted me to jump in. So that I was going to be jumping into sixth grade and thought, I'm important enough that he thinks I should go. I'm important enough that he would invite me, even though he won't be there. But he went through Crossroads, and now he was in an older group. He said, you have to go. This this experience was a Bondi one. I think the pinky thing was actually like, this is the best finger um, to pick your friend's nose with. Um, And it was one of those silly, dumb, like bonding moments for all of us. That was a cool moment in my life. And it happened with an invitation, and it happened because somebody loved me enough to invite me. Um, and I, we're going to talk about that this morning, okay? I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to invite the children. <laughs> cool story uh, about when I was a kid, and now we'll do the kids. Kids, can you come up by me? My bad. I get so excited. Oh, cute. Hey, he has something right there. Are we good? Look at, look at, we got our I don't think so. She's so cute. Okay, kids, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we love our kids. Uh, We're so grateful that you have given us the privilege of uh, parenting them and raising them and teaching them about life and about love and about who you are. We pray this morning in their classrooms that they would know you better, that they would get introduced uh, to a God who is crazy about them and loves them so very much. Help them to see how big and strong you are and how much you love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I just lost myself. Uh, how about we read some Bible? Would that be a good place to start? <laughs> good luck in your class this morning. All right. Uh, we're going to read this morning out of 1 John. 
First John, starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 7. A couple of different sections here. John writes, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We're in this series in 1 John that we're calling Radiant. And do just a little bit of review. This whole book is written by a pastor to his church. John uh, John is the pastor, and he sees things going on in his church that have the potential to rip his church apart. And we talked about it to say, uh, for a group in his congregation, for a group in his church, they were really struggling with how hard it is to follow Jesus, that it is hard work. And they had expected Jesus to come back already. And now a couple generations later, Jesus still hasn't returned, and John sees people in his congregation that are on the verge of giving up and saying, I'm just going to go back to fishing or whatever I was doing before this. Okay? And John wants to write to encourage them. John wants to write them to assure them that this is worth giving your life to. And more than that, Jesus has you. Jesus will not let go of you. He is sure, he is true, and he is coming back. He has you. So that's one group that John is addressing. The second group is a group that started to, started to feel like they had climbed to such spiritual heights that they could look down uh, on everybody else and that they had completely escaped the lure of sin. That is to say, uh, they believed that their spirit had ascended to such heights that no matter what they did in this world, their spirit couldn't be polluted. So just party on however you want to, and engage in any desire that you want, your spirit cannot be polluted. Another group said, um, we're going to abstain from all desire because we don't want to pollute our spirit. Those are two different things um, that is coming out of an arrogant, egotistical, um, snobby spirituality that puts other people down so it can raise them up. And John is addressing them to say, If you say you follow Jesus, I should see it in your life. If you say you're in the light, your actions ought to back that up. So Jesus is one who invites. Jesus is one who brings us close. And by your actions, you are pushing people away. And that's the stuff of darkness. And I don't believe you. You're liars and you're teaching people a wrong way to go about it. And John wants to address that. John says, something happened that changed everything. I saw 
Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I did life with Jesus. I listened to him teach. I watched him heal people. I watched him get killed, and I watched him rise from the dead. And that changes everything. Don't just follow Jesus because you're told to. Don't just follow Jesus because you read it somewhere and it seems like the right thing to do. Follow Jesus because he's real. Follow Jesus because people saw him, because he, he actually lived and he actually died for us and he actually rose again. is a real event in history. Last week, John talked about how uh, we often have two different approaches to sin. One is that we deflect and say, it's not my fault. My sin is not my fault. So much pain has been done to me. I've been hurt, and here's why, and here's why, and here's why, and here's why I am like I am. And John says, yes, I, I, don't, I don't want to diminish the fact that other people have hurt you, but your sin is still your sin. And until you figure out how to deal with that, you still have that on your shoulders. You have your own guilt and shame on your shoulders. And he says, and Jesus, Jesus is the one to take your shame away. Jesus came as an atoning sacrifice. And we talked about atonement being to bring the two together, to reconcile so that uh, our shame and our guilt has pushed us far from God. And John says, Jesus came as an atoning sacrifice as an advocate to argue on our behalf, to bring us back to God. And he's saying, I'm writing so because I want you to have fellowship with God. I want you to have a real life-giving relationship with God, and then that will turn into real life-giving relationships with each other, fellowship with each other. John says, our obedience reveals our relationship. So I want to make it very clear that our obedience doesn't bring us into relationship, right? We don't earn God's favor. We don't earn a relationship with Jesus. We don't do enough good things so that God would say at the end of our life, oh, good, the good outweighs the bad. But John says, Jesus offers relationship to you right where you are, right as you are, no strings attached. And as you enter into that relationship, the reality of that relationship gets revealed in a life changed, right? The reality of that relationship gets revealed in an obedient heart, in a heart that wants to obey God, that wants to do what God says, not just out of duty, but out of joy. So there are two sections this week that John is talking about, and we're actually going to flip them, and we're going to deal with the second section first. When John kind of goes through this list, I'm writing to you fathers, and I'm writing to you young men, I'm writing to you children. We're going to talk about that one first, and then we're going to go back into the, uh, the living in the light, and if you say you're in the light and yet you're hating your brother, something is wrong. So in this first one, in this first one, uh, John talks about why he's writing to, to different groups. And at, if you just look at it, if you just look at it and you take it literally, you'll say, okay, John is, John is writing to little children here, and then he's going to write to fathers, and then he's going to write to young men. I wonder if there's any women in his congregation. Okay? And uh, what a lot of people think is John is using 
more metaphor. He's using a poetic kind of prose language in this section. And we know that John addresses his church as little children, right? He, when John throws out the term little children um, throughout the course of this book, and even in 1 John 3, 1, it says, how, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so John starts out to say, I'm writing to you little children. And he says, I'm writing to you guys. I'm writing to you all. Because, he says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Because your sins are forgiven. And then he repeats it again in, in the second paragraph. He says, I'm writing to you children because you know the Father. And so if you, if you got to the point where you felt like John was bordering now on the legalistic side and saying this is a works righteousness, this is what you do in order to gain this, John is going to combat that right now. And he's saying it's already been done. I want to speak to your identity and I want to speak assurance and encouragement to you. Your sins are forgiven. So that if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, if you have accepted that forgiveness and not blown it off, but accepted it, it's done. And there's nothing more for you to do about your sin problem. It's done. He says, your sins are forgiven. And he says then, because you know the Father. And John is going straight to their heart and straight to their identity. So you have an identity as a child of God that cannot be taken away from you. No matter what happens, no matter if you get stuck up in sin, which happens, you know the Father. Your sins are forgiven. And I want to assure you of that. And then he goes on to fathers. And because John uses poetic language for little children, a lot of people think he's not just addressing the men. He's addressing kind of elder statesmen. People who have... Uh, men and women in the church who uh, have been following Jesus for years and years and years. And we would look to them as kind of heroes of the faith. That We would look to them and say, they are wise. They've been doing this for so long. I want, I want to spend time with them. And John says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. Which can have one of two meanings, maybe both. You've been following Jesus from the beginning. You've, you are carrying on the tradition uh, from generation to generation to generation. You are the heroes of the faith that has been passing it on. This same faith that we have been talking about from the beginning, from the time of Jesus. And other people say it can also mean like from the beginning. Like way beginning when God created everything. Like you know him who was from the beginning. You know him who has always existed. He's saying, you can lead with that. You can lead with that because of who you know, it affects how you lead. And then he said, I'm writing to you young men, which we could take and we say, uh, the younger generation of faith. And I, and I guess you can put yourself in whichever generation you feel like you are. If you uh, put yourself in the older camp or the younger camp, John has specific things to say to the younger group. He say, you have overcome the evil one. Middle school, high school, college age, young adult, deal with things on a visceral 
level. Like there's stuff going on in life and there's so much stuff going on. And John says, you've already overcome. You've already won the battle. If you're in Jesus, you have won the battle. You are strong. You want to look at a young person and give them encouragement? Say, I believe in you. I believe you have the strength to do it. As you follow Christ, he has given you strength. And John is just speaking into their lives. You are strong. He said, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the battle, which is to assume that they are in a battle. So wherever you are this morning, if you would consider yourself, I, like, I want, to, I want to believe that I'm a child of God, or I've been following Jesus for decades, or I am new to this, but I'm, I'm just ready to go. John says, be confident in who you are. Be confident in who, uh, in that Jesus called you to him. Be confident in your identity. And don't let anything, don't let anything knock you off your identity or call you, cause you to doubt that. You are in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You are, you have overcome. It's also, an implication of this is to say, we better value everyone. We look to older, wiser people who have done the battling. And we look to them and say, I want to gain wisdom from you. I want to listen to you. Would you mentor me? And we look to the young youth, the up-and-coming generations, and say, I love your energy. I love the tenacity at which you go after your faith. And I want to cheer you on. I want to help you. I want to remove obstacles that would get in your way so that you can run after Jesus that we would all recognize ourselves as little children of God, children dearly loved by him, that that creates our identity. John is writing in this second section today about our identity and about assurance. And then uh, this first section that we're going to flip uh, in verses 7 through 11, he says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John saying, this is an old commandment and this is a new commandment at the same time. It's old because this is the same thing that's been uh, said all the way through the scriptures. Going back to the beginning, you can read in Deuteronomy, love. And Jesus is taught, uh, asked with the most important commandment. He says, love God and love people. And he's not just making it up. He's quoting the Old Testament. And so John is saying, this this is not new. This is not new. This is an old command that is consistent with how God has called us to live. And yet, it's a new command, John says, because of Jesus. Because Jesus opened our eyes and shows us this command in a whole new light. John says, the darkness is passing away and the light is shining. He says, Jesus brought something. And there's still darkness in this world. There's still a broken world all around us, but Jesus overcame it. 
Jesus brought a light that is starting to shine and increase. And we're calling this series Radiant because God is radiant. Because Jesus brought a radiant light that continues to reach and reach and reach. And John says the darkness is passing away. We get to live in that light. And we get to shine that light brighter and brighter and brighter. So Jesus, Jesus opens our eyes to this new commandment, this, this new way of love in two different ways. He increases the scope of love. He, he widens the scope so that in the Old Testament, there's commentary in the Old Testament that talks about we should love, like we should love our brother and sister. We should love our fellow Jew. We should love people who are in God's family. But sinners, we should hate. And um, it wasn't just a hate like this emotional. It was a, we're going to turn away from them. We're, we're going to choose not to help them. We're, we're going to uh, separate ourselves from them. This was commentary uh, in the Jewish world. And so Jesus, Jesus actually says, you've heard it said this, but I'm going to give you a new command. I'm going to tell you something new. It's consistent with what God has always said, but people have gotten off. So Jesus reaches out to sinners. Instead of just loving the people in the family of God, Jesus reaches out to sinners. He's called a friend of sinners. He has dinner with sinners. In Matthew 9, he's, he's talking to Matthew and he says, like, I want to have dinner with you and I don't want to have dinner with you. Like, invite your friends, which was to invite messy people. Jesus is having dinner with them, and the religious elite of the day are saying, does, like, does he know who he's with? If he knew he was with, he, wouldn't, he, he would not be with them. And Jesus knows exactly who he's with, and he, he looks at them straight in the eye, and he says, you need to learn about love. You need to learn about mercy. You need to learn about God, which was a slap in the face to people who thought they were up here when it came to knowing about God. Jesus reaches out to sinners. He reaches out to Gentile. So that in the New Testament, um, we're given verses like Colossians 3.11 that says, there is no Jew or Gentile. That wherever you come from, Jesus is everything. And he's in all of us. Now, wherever you come from, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And Jesus extends the invitation outside of the community. Jesus extends the invitation to sinners. He extends the invitation to Gentiles. John 3.16, which may be the most famous verse in the entire Bible, says Jesus extends the invitation to who? To the whole world. So this is not a narrow love. This is a worldwide, everybody's invited, all-encompassing kind of love that Jesus is reaching out to. Jesus increases or widens the scope of love. And then he says, like you've heard it said, love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Like I'm going to tell you to love them too. So the sinner and the Gentile, the whole world, and even our enemies. Jesus says, I want you to love them because I love them. So he increases the scope of our love. And then the second way that he gives us a new kind of love is he, he shows us a new kind of extent of love. Like how far should love go? How far should we reach to love people? And Jesus talks over and over and over about this. He talks in Matthew 5. 
like uh, the Roman soldiers had the ability to call anybody up and say, hey, carry my stuff. And you have to carry it for a mile. That was the law. And Jesus says, so at the end of a mile, offer a second one. And what this is going to do, in some ways, this would embarrass them. Um, like the soldier was, uh, needed the help. No, 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 I'm good. I'll go with you an extra mile. But Jesus is saying, I want you to, sh- I want you to show even them love. I want you to show even them love. He says, if somebody slaps you in the face, which isn't really if someone comes at you and starts to pummel you, okay? <laughs> if, this is, if someone insults you with a slap in the face, we have this defense mechanism that says, I'm going to either slap you back or I'm going to close up to you. I'm going to reject you and I'm going to walk away. And Jesus says, don't strike back and don't walk away. Offer the other one. You want to insult me? Okay. And a gentle answer turns away wrath. So Jesus is saying, uh, take love further. When Jesus is arrested in the garden, Peter strikes back in the only way that he knows how to do it because he wants to fight for Jesus, because he wants to follow Jesus. He sees people attacking Jesus, and he responds with vigor by cutting a dude's ear off. It shows us how to take love further. I wish I knew how to do this one. Jesus picks the ear up, and he puts it back on, not with, like, scotch tape, but, like, <laughs> there, there, it's fixed. He, he reattaches the guy's ear and heals him. This is a guy that's arresting him that's going to take him where he's going to be beaten, where he's going to eventually be killed. And Jesus heals him. So I want to show you a new way to love, that you take love further. And he heals the guy. When he's mocked, Jesus doesn't curse. When he's on the cross, he says it's for them too. You can kill me, and I will still love you. That is a radical kind of love. That is a love that we, that we should ascribe to. That Jesus would love us that way. To say, I don't care how many times you spit at me. I don't care how many times you curse me. I don't care how many times you run away from me. I will continue to pursue you and I will continue to love you. And if you are in me, Jesus says, that's what I want from you. That you love people that way. There's this thing going on. Uh, John keeps going back, uh, back and forth between love and hate. It says if you if you say you're in God but you don't uh, help your fellow brother, you're, like you're hating him, which isn't just an emotional like I'm I'm disgusted by you. It could be, but it's more like a, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to turn away from you. I'm going to not help. John says that's hate. John is into these polar extremes. You're either loving or you're hating. John says, if you see somebody in need and you're not helping them, then you're hating and you're not actually living in the light. I heard it, um, I heard it described this way by one of my pastors and one of my mentors. He said, it's really like the, dif- the, the difference between a nuclear bomb and the sun. You know, they're both giving off crazy energy. They're both really, really powerful. But the difference at the heart of them is that a bomb is all about fission. And the sun is all about fusion. In that, 
a nuclear bomb gets dropped and fission divides atoms and, it, and makes an explosion. So division and hate is all about, or hate is all about division, splitting things apart and then watching, uh, watching the destruction happen. The sun and fusion is all about bringing things together. And the energy that it creates, I guess it can do harm, but the energy that the sun creates is life-giving to us here. So Damascus Road, we come together. From, from wherever we come, we come together. John says, if you want to know if you're walking in the light or if you're walking in the darkness, you want to know if you're loving or if you're hating, what is in your wake? Is it division or is it unity? Are you calling people together or are you uh, ripping people apart? And I think John would go so far as to say there is no middle ground so that if you see division and you do nothing about it, There is no middle ground. You're either calling people together or you're on the end of division. Fission or fusion, love or hate. And so we pray, God, will you show me somebody to love? We are called together and then we are sent out. Jesus invites us into his fellowship, into his love, and then he sends us out to love. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And I love Jesus' prayer in John 17, where he says, Father, as you sent me, I send them. We are sent on a mission that Jesus says is a new way to love that takes love further. And so the question you ask yourself, the question I ask myself is, how do you love? How, do I, how, how am I doing at loving? Whom do you love? How far does your love reach? How are you at loving people who are different from yourself? To what lengths Will you go to love? The side note here. Love doesn't equal fix. Okay? We're not called to go and fix people. We're not called to go and make everything right and that we would be their saviors. We're called to love them and draw them to the Savior. The only one. That we would love them in the name of Jesus and point them to Jesus. We don't have all the answers. We can't fix everything. One of the worst things that we can do on mission trips when we go travel internationally is that we think we have all the answers and we're going to tell them how to worship God. And we pay no attention to who they are, where they are, what their culture is. We want to love them. We want to serve them. That's true here, too. That we wouldn't go out into our Madison community and say, Let us fix you, Madison. What a broken city. We say, let us love you, Madison. Madison, in some ways, 
is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place to live. But there's a lot of brokenness here too. There's a lot of broken people. You can look almost anywhere and see people who are broken and see people who need to be loved. As an individual, you say, God, who can I love today? Would you show me somebody to love in my family, in my neighborhood, in line at the store? Maybe it just means listening to somebody. Maybe it's uh, somebody who has a need that you can meet. Maybe it's inviting somebody to your dinner table. God, show me someone to love. 30 years ago, a pastor prayed that prayer. God, would you show me somebody to love? And then my family walked in the door of church. And my dad was a cynic. My dad had walked away from God. And the pastor came up and said, what are you doing today? I'm scraping my house. It's going to be a good day. And the pastor showed up with his family to help scrape the house. And Paul fostered a relationship with my dad that created a space to ask questions and to be cynical and yet hear that Christians weren't mindless wimps that over time said, I'm drawn to this. So Paul's safety and Paul's love for my dad and for my family changed everything. Changed everything. I'm sitting in the canoe and I hear from Brett, you need to go to Crossroads next year. That changes who I continue to grow up as. So it's an invitation that says, I am worth loving. Um, love, in that case, meant an invitation. The pastor prayed, God, show me somebody to love. As individuals, that we would be the kind of people who would pray that prayer fervently. God, show me somebody to love today, this week, this month. Not fix, love. However you can do that. That's as individuals. And now let's take a step back and say, how are we as a church doing at loving people? Because we should love people as individuals, but we are together, right? So we go together into our city. We move together into our city. We move together into this world, and we love. So how are we doing, Damascus Road, at loving people? What are we known for? What will we be known for? If we ceased to exist, what would our community miss? How have we loved? There are all kinds of ways that we could do this better. But there's all kinds of ways that make me so proud. So in the, in the course of this last season here at Damascus Road, we gave $16,000 to Syrian refugees. And the number's not as important as the collective obedience to say we want to do something. We're not going to fix anything, but we want, we want to love. And here is an, a physical expression of love. And some of you guys sacrificed for that. At Christmas, we filled 100 shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. It would go overseas that a little kid could open up and get a present to say, I'm loved. I am loved by this church. And by God himself, that he would drop a present in my lap is incredible. We adopted families for Christmas through the River Food Pantry. 
I got a letter from the River Food Pantry telling stories about a family that was going to have to, that was having trouble paying their mortgage. And because of the help at the river, they could stay in their house. And we support the river on a regular basis. We give financially to them. Like that means something. That is love in action. Inviting Kyle and Emily Kurth up as they launch overseas on a mission to get into a village and start to love them and get to know them and learn their language so that they could tell them about Jesus, not to fix them, but to love them. That we could support them in that. Community home is a place that reaches out to broken people and helps them beat addictions through Jesus' love. We support Serenity Home. We lead, um, celebrate recovery as a way to love people. There is so much going on. I got this card in the mail recently, and I want to show you this picture because you can't see it here. Uh, we'll, We'll throw it up here too. This picture came from CareNet. So CareNet is an organization that helps uh, helps single moms, helps pregnant women have a choice toward life. Say so we we want to give you more choices, and we we love the baby who is growing in your womb, and this is a baby. Through our support, this baby lives, and this card has names of babies and people's lives who were changed this year. And we're a part of that. We didn't do it all, but we're a part of that. We are loving our community, and we are loving people. And I see this little face, and I think we're onto something. Like, that, that is close to the heart of God. If we could love that little one. I loved hearing from Tim Dunn that in the last three, four years, there have been a hundred baptisms here in this church. You know what that means? People are being loved. That you are being loved. There are people... Can I, can I put you on the spot? How many of you have been baptized in the last three, four years here at Damascus Road? This is people being loved. This is a church who's doing a good job welcoming and proclaiming the gospel and making much of Jesus and welcoming people into fellowship. So... Um, I'll put another challenge out there. This year might be your year. If you haven't been baptized, if you haven't jumped into the fellowship, uh, pun intended, I guess, (laughs) maybe this is your year. That you would call this place your home, that you would be loved here and say, I'm all in as I follow Jesus here. Have we loved? Yes, we have. Is there more to do? Yes, there's so much more to do. We live in a city that has so much need. We live in a city that is divided racially, that if we are honest, we can't stand and do nothing. And we we have to figure out how to get involved on a loving side, not just a feeling loving, but doing something about it. We have to. Have we loved? Yes. 
Are we done? No. Jesus says, as you sent me, Father, I send them. We want to love our community. We want to love people the way God loves them. So here's, here's one little example that I can, one little story that I can share with you. In the last uh, number of weeks, Sally and I have been getting together and talking um, also at the, around the elder table about ways that we could pour into our community. What, what could we do to, to love our community, not fix, but love? And a couple weeks ago, Sally and I toured a couple schools and we're looking into the idea of an adopt-a-school program where we would come alongside a school and saying, how can we help? How can we love you? Now, we could be a church that a school would look at and say, this isn't a stuffy community that just wants to push us away and tell us what a bad job we're doing. This is a church that wants to help us, wants to love us. And as we love, we get to love like Jesus did. Not that we would shove stuff down their throat, but that we would love like Jesus loved. I'm excited to see this partnership grow and and to look at possibilities. And we're going to be calling you to get involved. Or I guess we're going to be calling you to ask God how he would have you get involved. Not in a coercive, manipulative kind of way, but if we want to walk in the light, how do we love? What are we going to do? What are we going to do right here in our community? This road. We are a church with a history of love. You have been telling these stories for a long time. I think we need to write more stories. I think we need to write more chapters. I think we're not done. You as a church have loved. Let's love more. Let's love further. Let's be radiant as he is radiant. Ask the question this week. God, would you give me someone to love? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us in a a love um, that didn't pay attention to boundaries. Thank you for loving us in a way where you continue to pursue us until you caught us. You are the only wholeness we can find. Where sin has ripped us apart, where sin has come to kill and to steal and destroy, you you brought life. Help us to be like that. Help us to know you intimately and personally and to live out of that relationship. Father, we love you. We are thankful. Show us the next chapters we have to write. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. And it's a really powerful symbol